Good morning. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. It was late on a Thursday evening towards the end of April I first heard those words. There was something about them that grabbed me and yet troubled me. I wasn't even sure at first what they meant, but they challenged me deeply. I've since realised those words remind us and force us to confront what type of boat have we been living in during this storm? Maybe for some it's been a battleship where we've maybe for for good reason had to bunker down and no one is getting in to sink us. For some maybe it's been a luxury yacht. Believe me, you'll know if that's you. Then maybe for some we've we've been on a lifeboat or in a lifeboat where we've felt that we've been trying to help as many people as we can. Or then for others of us, maybe it's been a boat called normal. We've just tried to get on with our normal lives, whatever this looks like. For others, it's been a dinghy. We've felt a bit like it what it must be to be an asylum seeker bobbing around in the Mediterranean. Or for others, it's been a piece of driftwood where we've been living at the peril of the storm, being tossed and back and forth, clinging to an existence. We are all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Those words were brought home to me afresh this past week, when I found out which place outside of the London boroughs sits top of the table with the highest number of recorded deaths from this pandemic. It's my hometown of Middlesbrough. I read further, but my it didn't get any cosier because the postcode at the epicentre in Middlesbrough is the one I grew up in and where my mum still lives. We're all living in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. I wonder which boat you think Jesus' disciples were living in at Pentecost. They too had been living through a storm. They'd seen firsthand weeks before the best or perhaps the beast of Roman brutality, barbarity and butchery. Yet since they'd met the risen Jesus, a new hope had arisen, but now Jesus was gone and ascended. Ten days had passed. They would not be human if they did not look around the upper room where they were gathered and look into each other's faces and wonder, what now? Can I feel safe around you? Perhaps we can begin to grasp what boat the disciples found themselves in on the morning of Pentecost. Then the doors burst open. Not from a Roman soldier's boot, but the sound of a violent wind that accompanies a storm. And we read the sound fills the room and tongues of fires appear among And on those gathered, they were all filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the only reason the world was changed through those disciples who'd gathered together in that upper room. If we were ever in any doubt of the seismic changes from what happened to the disciples in the upper room and the legacy it still has today, here are the words of the award-winning historian Tom Holland in his book Dominion. He writes, the most enduring and influential legacy of the ancient world that has proven transformative like nothing else in history is Christianity. 
It tells us why in the West we came to be what we are and the way we think, the way we do. Christianity's enduring impact is not confined to churches. It can be seen everywhere in the West, in science, in secularism, in gay rights, even in atheism. The Holy Spirit is still the only reason the world continues to be changed now by us, Jesus' disciples today. As we gather in our boats in the storm, for as we see in the Bible, we too are commanded to be continually filled to overflow with the Holy Spirit. Let's though press pause for a moment and ask ourselves, have we ever wondered who is the Holy Spirit? Today in the church calendar is actually Trinity Sunday, when we celebrate the mystery of who God is, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The best, if you like, definition of who the Holy Spirit is, I've found, comes from the author and theologian, John Piper, who writes the Holy Spirit is the eternal love that flows between God the Father and God the Son as they delight in each other. The Holy Spirit is the eternal love that flows between God the Father and Jesus as God the Son as they delight in each other. In the words of what one of my lecturers in Cambridge would have said, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't know about you, but I want no. I need the same Holy Spirit living in me. And if you follow Jesus Christ, he is. His presence is magnetic and majestic. If we look at the story of Pentecost and the rest of the book of Acts, we see two immediate signs that accompany the experience of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Firstly, we would see that the disciples have a new boldness to spontaneously praise God and express their gratitude to him like never before. It was a whole new way of worshipping where what had gone before was no more. This is the new normal of the birth of the church. The disciples we read speak earthly languages previously unknown to them and given by the Holy Spirit to express their words of love in praising God. While they didn't know these languages, though, we read, the crowds hearing them hear this great crescendo of heaven touching earth. And they know exactly what the words have been spoken because they're speaking their languages. Secondly, though, we read the disciples had a new boldness to proclaim who God is in public like never before. As they find themselves swept out of the upper room and into the market square, they stand together to declare Jesus Christ, who had been crucified as the saviour, lord and king of the universe. They then call on those listening to repent. To repent means to change our mindset on our rebellion against God and to say sorry to him. To believe. To trust in Jesus as our saviour, king and lord and act accordingly. And then they say to those crowds to be baptised. We read that day 3,000 became followers of Jesus Christ. This is the new normal of the birth of the church. If we were then to read the rest of the book of Acts, we find that at least one of these two signs accompanies the falling of the Holy Spirit on the first believers in four of the five occurrences that we have recorded. 
For instance, in Acts 4, when the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, they go out and speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 9, when the Holy Spirit falls on Saul, he goes out and proclaims Jesus as the Son of God in the Damascus synagogues. This time, next in Acts chapter 10, this time it's Peter who's preaching to Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his family and his friends. And we read those filled with the Holy Spirit speak in other languages and praise God. And then in Acts chapter 19, when the Holy Spirit falls on the church at Ephesus and the people there are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in other languages and prophesy. So where does this leave us this morning? We've seen the two signs that accompany being filled with the Holy Spirit is either a boldness to praise God and or a boldness to proclaim the risen Jesus. If we were to then survey the rest of the New Testament, as the early church grew in the new normal, we'd find that we would face a choice like they did of two opposite scenarios, which we face of how much they embrace the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives. When we consider these two opposite scenarios, both have behind them the themes of wind and fire, the signs of the Pentecost experience. One way is to ignore the guidance given to the church at Thessalonica, who were warned, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It means whatever we do, don't extinguish or don't take the heat out of or don't try and blow out what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Just don't go there. Not only in our praise to God or in our boldness to talk about Jesus, but in any way. The Holy Spirit is moving in our life. Don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The other way is to follow the guidance given to Timothy by his mentor, Paul, who wrote to him, rekindle the gift of God that is within you with the laying on of my hands. Rekindle, or some translations say fan into flame involves inviting the Holy Spirit to blow on the embers of our soul that might have become dimly lit, like you would on an open fire, and allow him to breathe fresh life into our souls, to fire us up with a flaming passion once more, to praise God and proclaim the risen Jesus. As we might see in our island, some rays of sunshine amidst the storm we've lived through these past three months May we have the same boldness as the disciples to get out of their boats and go and change the world. At the same time, let's remember as the disciples found, it was not the end of the story of the storm. There were still further spikes. For them, it was the storm of persecution swelling up again. Yet their boldness to praise God and proclaim Jesus continued. It reminds us, we might face a further spike in our storm, yet nevertheless we are to be a people with a burning desire to praise God and proclaim the risen Jesus as the saviour of the world. Shall we pray together? Maybe you might want to open your hands and your arms towards God to receive what he might want to give you this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, 
Holy Spirit. Come and meet us deep down in our hidden places. Come and set a fire down in our soul that we can't contain and can't control. That we would be a people who praise the living God and proclaim Jesus as the saviour of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.